Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and of course, this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. Today, we are both very excited to be talking to you about the relatively recent, was it 2019? Mm-hmm. A film that was created by Amazon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an I'm Amazon off to original. A card. Or this is uh, showcasing we my. Everything about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the movie that we're going to talk with you uh, ab- about with you today is called "Vast of Night." Do you have a synopsis for us, Mister Huddleston? I do. So, I don't know if we said who we we are or not, but that's okay. I'm Chris Huddleston, and you are. I think we did. Did we Let's just okay. start over? Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and this is, of course, my co-host, Chris Huddleston. Oh, you say it. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and of course, this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today, we are both very excited to be talking to you about the 2019 Amazon Prime original film, Vast of Night. I'm going to leave all of that earlier stuff in, though, just because yeah. I think it's what hilarious how unprepared we are. Number, please. Hello? Can you catch me? Large object holding over my land. This is WOTW Radio in Cayuga, New Mexico, and this is the news for the hour. Uh, what would you like to tell us about yourself? I don't know. Well, aren't you like some big science girl? Tell me about science. Everett, it's Faye. I'm a sound came through the board and interrupted your radio show. What a sound. What's going on, Everett? 718 here at WOTW. We got a sound we'd like to play that seems to be bouncing around the valley tonight. Yes, I have a story that might be helpful. I can tell you what's going on. The sound we heard out in the desert, it was coming from thousands of feet higher than anything could fly. They've come here before. They've liked this place. They always have. It's 7.45 p.m. and we may have something that'll need something for what? Have we found it from Cold Canyon? Who's that? It's Everett. Stop smiling. What's he doing here? He's helping me. Stop smiling. Get in! It's out of town! Come on, come on, come on! Hey, come on! Something's up there now. It's something talking. And they don't stay for long. Hey! Everett, take the wheel! What's going on? There's something in the sky. Do you have a synopsis for us, Mr. Huddleston? I do. So this was directed by, uh, his name is Andrew Patterson, and it stars Sierra McCormick and Jake Horowitz. And the synopsis from IMDb is, One night in in New Mexico in the late 1950s, a switchboard operator and a radio DJ discover a strange audio frequency which could change the future forever. So neither yep. or neither, whichever you prefer, of us had had not seen this prior to watching it for the podcast. So uh, what did you think? I enjoyed it. I, I think um, it has a fantastic sense of style. Uh, I think the production design was really uh, gorgeous and, and felt extremely authentic. And I thought uh, the performances were terrific, particularly from uh, Sierra, the the female lead. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it it's interesting because it struck me as an independent film. It really felt like, aside from the period touches and the attention to detail with costuming and set design and and all of that, that 
the script was extremely dialogue driven. It, it had a relatively, in terms of significant characters who had significant screen time, it's it's really a two hander. Um, and you know, I thought it delivered. I you it, I felt a little bit of a Blair Witch let down at the end when we didn't see. It ends in a mystery. And we spoil these movies, by the way. So if you don't know that about us, that's we're going to talk about it. Um, I, I, you know, I wanted a little I wanted a little more um, after the whole movie felt sort of like set up. And then by the end, not to know precisely what had occurred. Um, left me feeling cheated a little bit. Um, but what about you? What did you think of it? So uh, I enjoyed it. Um, they so right from the get go, there's there's a couple of really cool things that they do with the uh, presentation or setup of this or whatever. So it starts out in a living room, I guess, and it's a, a 1950s TV and they do an opening, which is just like the Twilight Zone. They do kind of the intro of the Twilight Zone, but it's called uh, Paradox Theater, I think is what it's called. Yeah. And they they come back to this at, at various times throughout the film where they will kind of cut. It'll go to black and white. And it's as if you're it's, it's sort of, I guess, to remind you that it's kind of like you're watching this Twilight Zone episode. So I really I was I love the Twilight Zone. So I. I was really in, in that regard. Um, it is where it would differ from a twilight zone episode is there's not necessarily really, we can, we can talk about the ending later on, but there's not really a twist per se, I wouldn't say, but like you said, um, it's very dialogue driven. There's a lot of, um, there's a good bit of this that is phone conversations where the just the main characters are listening to people talk on the phone and the actors that one particular who was a caller who was t- so basically the people are report are there's a weird sound and people are seeing lights and all these kind of things. And there are a couple of different characters that reveal to the main characters that they have heard these sounds before. So there's one guy who was in the military and calls in. And that guy just has a really great, this kind of rich voice yep. that, you know, you really want to listen to. And as you said, the two leads. So um, and one thing, the only thing that I was a little bit confused about this film. So you have the main, um, so you have the two leads and their names are uh, Faye, who's played by Sierra McCormick, and then Everett, who's Jake Horowitz and Faye is a high school. She's a 16 year old. And when the movie starts there, there's a, a basketball game at the school that's getting ready to start, but she leaves because she works as a switchboard operator. And then this guy, Jake is a DJ. And this was the only thing that I was a little bit confused about was he an adult like they're hanging out together all through the thing was he a teenager was he an adult i didn't understand that exactly i felt like he i felt like so she was probably in 10th grade Mm -hmm. and he probably graduated last year yeah you know that's that's what i felt like so he's 18 and she's 16 or he's 19 and she's 16 Mm -hmm. And he certainly walks and talks like he's big shot, grown up adult radio professional. But the feeling I got that he was in you know, 20 tops mm-hmm. and it's a small town. If we haven't, I don't know if we've already established this. It's a period piece. So it's set in what, 1950, did you say? Do we know exactly it's when it's 1950s sometime? Yeah. Yeah. But it feels like early 50s um, mm-hmm. and they shot it in a little Texas town and it, the production design is fantastic. I mean, yeah, all the cars and the clothes and the vibe and the way the chatter and just the attitudes. That was something and I might we might as well get into it right now. But I think they really nailed a sense of how at that time, not just in a small town like that, but at that time, you know, they, she has a tape recorder. That's like a new thing she's gotten and he knows how to use it. And she hasn't even 
tried recording it yet because she wants to talk to him first. Like she's so excited about this new technology and they're going around interviewing people, just recording, asking them any, any old question and recording their voice. And, you know, she plays it back to herself. And this idea of, you know, I don't know when you, if you got the first iPhone, you know, or the, the, any new Mm -hmm. technology you lay your hands on, there's this kind of like, wow, this is cool. You know, this is magic here. This is where, you know, science meets the impossible. And that comes through very clearly in this movie as they're talking about radio and tape recording and, you know, the magic of this technology. And, um, that's not a given. I think you can buy period clothes and you can have a set designer rent some period cars, but a lot of movies, um, get the look right. Don't always get the feel at all. And part of that, a deeper part of that is capturing, a a, a sense of, of a kind of attitude towards life that's pervasive across a whole community, right? Each individual mm-hmm. character is going to have his or her own, what the, whatever they're going through. This guy's going through a divorce and that, you know, woman just was elected onto the town council. I don't know. But collectively in the world of the film, the sort of, you know, did World War II just happen? Whatever, whatever. When you're doing a period piece to really make it feel like it was a different time, has to come through in every single person's performance, especially sometimes in the small ones. Uh, and I just thought this one, this movie really nailed that, you know, it was, it was almost immediately immersive. Um, and I, I'm trying to think of other examples. So, so we, at one point the camera follows the, uh, high school basketball team and it, you know, into the gym. I wanted, yeah. I wanted to get into that. Yeah. And it just inside the gym, there's a band. Everything in the gym feels true, feels absolutely real. Um, They're talking about the nearby town. Oh, they've got a bunch of Indian kids who all look like they're, you know, 20 years old and they're going to clobber us. Right. And just there was such a it's I mean, I don't think it's set in Texas. One thing I read is New Mexico, New Mexico. Right. So it's. You know, it's it's got specific flavors to it, but I don't know. I, I kind of rambled myself off the road here, but um, it, but it's kind of any town USA. Yeah, in, you know, small in town. the new Me- in New Mexico or that or the the Southwest. You know, it's because mm-hmm. it's got a deserty, dry feel to it, and in a a small town mentality. I mean, the folks all know each other. Right. She walks up and she's just leaning in. The whole family's in the car, right, in the parking mm-hmm. lot, getting ready to go into the game. And, uh, you know, she just leaned. They roll down the window. Oh, hey. Hi there. You know, everybody knows everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, when they, I think when they start hearing the sound, even the sound design of the sound feels period to me. You know, and I wonder if they got that, if they referenced other things like the Twilight Zone. Was this sort of a mechanical whirring sound that doesn't sound like you could place it but you know it, it doesn't feel it it feels period but it also feels plausible like it's not yeah. the, you know it's not like um now it's time for science theater you know it's it's mm-hmm. playing it straight i just really um it was so good in that regard that I I wanted a little more actual action to happen, mm-hmm. right? By the time they get to the old woman's house and she's like laying it all out for them and everything she knows and and you get you start to think you go through a phase where you think the this old woman's just crazy. <laughs> but then you sort of get through that and they get through that and find her to be credible. And then they head out into the woods to go looking for evidence. And they do actually see some stuff, but that's more or less the end of the film. Nothing really happens. We do get, we do get to see. So let's just, we got to spoil it. 
we see the flying saucer. And I think that's mm-hmm. amazing. And that's a really well done. Uh, it made me think of uh, Close Encounters a little bit. Yes. That scene where they're all just in awe of this. There's some definitely some Spielberg stuff going on. Yeah, literally otherworldly thing. Um, but then that's the end of the movie, right? So mm-hmm. the two of them vanish and we see the recorder and we see the dust that they were walking in. And it wasn't clear to me if they were taken up into the ship, if they were sort of vaporized and turned to ash by that. You know, the last thing we see with them is that there's this strong wind that starts to kick up. You know, Mm -hmm. and they hold each other close as they're being sort of buffeted by this wind. So is the thing taking off and its thrusters fry them or is that them being, you know, taken into the ship? We don't know. And I don't don't really know what I wanted. I didn't expect them to go in the ship and poke around. That didn't seem like that would be true to the movie. Hmm. But I did feel like all that talk was set up for something bigger than I got at the end. But that's that's a pretty pale criticism for a movie that I thought was so well done overall. You know, I was thinking, and this is kind of rare because I've, I've talked about this a lot on this show. I I generally tend to like films better than series because I have a hard, I guess I have commitment issues. It's hard for me to get into like an eight or 10 hour thing or whatever. But this was something that at the end of it, I thought, you know what? This would have been a really great, I don't really know what they would have done with it exactly, but this would have been a really great series. I, I enjoyed being in this town and this world yeah. and everything and to have expanded some of this out and have some some weird other characters and and things I would have, I would have liked to have seen more. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You brought up the, the period aspect. And that was one of the things that I really enjoyed about this is there is a tendency at times when you're talking about period films or period series where and, and, and this isn't necessarily an intentional thing, I don't think, but they, no pun intended, they at times can make people from another area feel kind of like aliens. Um, and, you know, the 1950s, to, you know, it was a couple of decades before we were born, but my parents were alive in the 1950s, you know, so it's not like people, you know, it's not like 500 years ago or something, you know what I no. mean? And I really liked that these these characters felt modern in a way. You know, they felt like they could be people today, but um, they like there's a scene where they're the two of them are walking along, and she appears to be very interested in technology and science and things like that, and she tells him about three different stories she had read. Um, in popular mechanics or popular science or something like that about how they're going to have self-driving cars. And, you know, it's kind of funny because I don't remember the exact times, but it's like, oh, we're going to have self-driving cars. And the the guy's like, when's that going to be? Oh, 1970. And then it's, then she's basically describing iPhones. You know, everybody's going to have a phone in their pocket and you're just going to look and you're going to be able to see the person's face on there. When is that going to happen? 1992, you know? And so they don't do that in a way in any way that they're making fun of these characters. Um, but, you know, it it gives you a sense of, okay, this was a different time. But they also, they never make fun of these characters in terms of they, they you know, they talk pretty much the same as we do today. You know, they're not like, gee whiz, we're going to the sock hop, you know. And, you know, there's none of that kind of stuff where it's like, you know what I mean? I do. Uh, There's a touch of it. There's just enough to anchor it, you know, but, but mostly what comes through is not the, not just stitching in the, the, what we perceive as the lingo of the time. But like, again, when I say the attitude, you know, she's a high school student that's really into science and technology. And that was probably even more unusual than in a small town, but no one's discouraging of it, you know? And no. she's very bright. That's clear, you know, and she's just really excited. And she's quoting these articles from like, you know, popular science or some magazine that she read. And she's like, yeah, this is what this is what they think is going to happen in the future. You know, it's really interesting, these articles. And I, I had forgotten that, but that is a great touch. It's yeah. a great uh, writing. 
And when they when they realize that there's some and and you know another aspect, a touch of how maybe they would have been different than us today. I don't know because things kind of come full circle, I guess. But um, when they when they realize that there's definitely something in the sky. Um, and she says, well, what do you, th- who, who do you think it is? And he said, oh, it's the Soviets. And she says, you think so? And he's like, oh, a hundred percent. It's the Soviets, you know? So that's a little, you know, he, he's not, uh, he doesn't immediately jump to, oh, it's aliens. He thinks it's the Russians. You know? Right. Well, um, early on, early on, you know, they're hearing noises. There's a military connection. There's sort of, there's a kind of a, you know, there's a kind of an EMP effect, like lights and power mm-hmm. go out and sort of come back on. And, that you know, that's at the phase where he's saying, oh, it's definitely the Soviets. You know, they're messing with us. It's a it's in a technology war with the Soviets, you know. Mm-hmm. And it isn't until you start talking to the old lady who basically says it's people from another world and they took my son. Right. Mm-hmm. Tell them I want to go with them to take me to, you know, it's a. That's a creepy scene. Oh, yeah, for sure. And yeah, so you have a lot, you know, this almost could have been a a radio play. Yeah. You know, it feels a bit like that because, as yeah. you said, it's so much. And a lot of it is just t- people telling stories. Yeah. Um, another thing. So this director, I did a little, a little bit of reading because I just thought, oh, I wonder what else this guy has done. And I was really shocked. So I just wanted to look again as to what his name is. Andrew Patterson. And he also co-wrote the script. And this is his first feature. And he doesn't have anything else in the pipeline, which amazed me uh, because the direction of this, I thought was just outstanding. You talked about the basketball game and there's a scene that is done. You know, I'm sure it was broken up, but it, it pretty much is played as a, as a continuous shot for, I don't know, maybe four or five minutes where it goes from, I don't know if it's from the radio station or it's, or it's from the, um, where the switchboard is, but it moves out into the street and the camera goes, it's not following a character. It's just the camera moving by itself through the town. And then it goes into the gym where they're having the basketball game and circles around for a minute or two to show what's happening with there's no dialogue or anything. It's just the sounds of the game and everything. And then it goes up into the bleachers and out a window and across to, I think it goes to the radio station, but I just thought what a great shot yeah. that is. Yeah. So, it's great. And then we do, we overhear conversations. Somebody says there's a, a rat or a chipmunk has chewed through one of the wires and that keeps coming mm-hmm. up and they're all trying to figure it out. And, you know, people are coming to get other people. And, oh, Merle's asking for you. You know, he's like, I said, this is Everett. No, I, I, you know, he works at the radio station. <laughs> I don't work at, so there's just this kind of, it's almost comedy mm-hmm. writing, you know, who's on first kind of stuff that, but, but it anchors us in this small town world where this is, this is life for these, mm-hmm. it's very community. It's very much about, being a member of this little community and it doesn't get into what's great about this community or what's bad about this community or small minded or any of that stuff. It's just focusing on the relationship between the people so that when stuff, when the sound starts to happen and sounds start to go off and people are trying to get a hold of each other, the way in which our characters start to feel kind of alarmed and eventually frantic reverberates through that connective tissue of the community in, in very realistic feeling ways. Right. And she's, she's a switchboard operator is what she does. And so she's actually got the little analog, you know, eighth inch jacks that she's plugging mm-hmm. on number, please, you know, she's plugging it in and then she leaves her post. One of the last shots as they s- sort of show the switchboard um, with nobody sitting <clears throat> in it. And you realize mm-hmm. Well, the phones don't work if there isn't a human being. <laughs> like if somebody's not sitting at the switchboard, 
you can't call and check on each other or make sure that your baby sister's okay. She goes, there's, there's a scene late near the end of the movie. She goes to get her kid sister who is maybe two, I don't know, one and a half, two. Mm-hmm. And maybe yeah. a big kid, you know, but not like physically a big kid, but not talking yet. So probably not too. Um, and not walking yet. And they, they're running and she's running with this kid. And it was really scary. I'm like, oh my mm-hmm. God, don't trip and fall on this kid, you know? But they're they're really scared at this point. And they're like, you know, they're booking from one place to another. And she's just, he has a car. I think, doesn't he steal a car? Basically mm-hmm. just gets in it. Somebody's left their keys in. And he's like, oh, I'll give it back. I just, you know, she's just, I'm just used to walking everywhere. You know, she keeps pulling up <laughs> Where are you going? We got a car. Just, I didn't even think about it. Yeah. It's really, it's really well done. And this actress, uh, so her name is, I said it before, but Sierra McCormick, she has been on, and it's not a show that I've watched all of it, but she has been on some of um, American Horror Story. And, you know, that's a modern thing. So sure. she looks a lot different in it, but, uh, She's I think complete... I saw that she was ahead, also a, a child star, like on Disney or something, wasn't she? Oh, that I don't show? know. But uh, but she is. Um, she was born in nineteen ninety seven. Um, anyway, she yeah. steals the movie. It, I think yeah, in, in it, a cast full of really really good performances she walks she's, away with it the the what i had seen her previously in american horror story she is completely different i mean a very yeah. very different uh character so um when i looked it up I, you know i didn't even know it was the same person until until i looked her obviously you know it's different hairdos and all that kind of stuff but yeah she's outstanding but i thought both of them were really great and um you know you talked about that when the when the the different the other people in the town are speaking, I thought the way this was written, all of the dialogue just felt very naturalistic. You know, there's some there, there's some uh, you know films that you watch something like uh, say for example like the Coen Brothers. I love the Coen Brothers dialogue. You know, they kind of do this sing songy poetic dialogue. But it's nothing like the way people actually speak in real life. No, that's uh, right. It's it, it's movie stylized. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas this felt like, oh, this is how people talk. You know, there's there's parts where there's characters speaking over each other. Um, you know, and and I, I just thought I I just thought everything about the the performances felt really true. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think for a first film, it's a remarkable achievement. Yeah. Like I say, I'm amazed that I was just amazed to not see like, oh, this guy has a couple other things because this was 2019. So, you know, I don't know what the reception of this was. Um, I, it had, you know, has good ratings as far as IMDb and, and Rot Tomatoes. But I just thought, wow, you know, I would be, um, if I were a producer, I would be looking for stuff to give this guy to work on, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm um, sure, I'm sure he's gotten some offers, but yes, they're mm-hmm. not always the offers that you want. You know, I think sure you can sort of be swept along by your career or you can try and steer where it goes. I don't know anything about anything about this guy, but I, I would definitely keep an eye out for whatever he does next because this oh, yeah. is very, very competently done. Yeah. And it's, you know, uh, it's a, it's a slow burn. I was never, there was never any point in it where I, you know, was checking my phone or anything like that. I was, I was really on board. Uh, it's about an hour and 45 minutes or something like that, but it's, but like you said, there's not really, you know, the action is, is, kind of them running around this town and we don't get anything other than these sounds and a little bit of flashing lights and things until the very end when we see the actual spaceship for a minute or two. Um, and so, 
you know, people looking for a really action-packed sort of a, a sci-fi film, that's not what this is. It's very, this is very old-fashioned feeling. Yes. And I mean, it feels, feels like a Twilight Zone in that, you know, Twilight Zone didn't have a lot of action in it either. That's that was a really dialogue heavy series. Um, so it definitely feels like an homage to to that. So I agree. Um, I, I had there was I, one. Go ahead. Sorry, I had one no, question, no, but no, go go. So when we when they go to they they meet this old woman and she talks. So her child was she says was abducted by these aliens and you know she gets the the kid disappears and she gets blamed for it and everything but when they go to her they they call her and they tell tell her to or she calls in on the radio show and they she's asked for them to come to her home and when they get there she is speaking in this alien language and uh she tells them to uh, she tries to get them to take this piece of paper with, you know, what she's saying to communicate with the aliens or whatever. So they, and they don't take it cause they don't believe her and they hop in a car with these other people and they're driving down the road and he's playing back the recording of the woman saying, speaking in this alien language. And when, um, when they do that, then the man and the woman in the car, like start looking up towards the sky and it's sort of like they're in a trance or something. I didn't completely understand that exactly. What was, did you, what was going on there? I didn't completely understand it either, except that it made the words seem powerful in some way. And the old woman, I, did, did I didn't say, understand if they had somehow been like this, these people had already been contacted by the aliens before or something. And it's almost not like, I don't really maybe. know what term almost, sort of possessed almost like that's not really the right term, but yeah, well, that's kind of how I took it. What the old woman was saying was that the aliens are like responsible for all kinds of disruption, large and small, you know, everything from they people kind of take over people's lives, right? Turning to alcoholism or, you know, nations strife between nations and things like that. So there's an ominous bent to it that somehow she didn't, she didn't, I don't remember her saying she knew why they were doing it, but then, that was then kind of a mystery. playing back that language, you know, I mean, they leave sort of thinking she's crazy and then they're playing back her and then it has this very, the car almost crashes because he's driving and mm-hmm. both of the people make kind of a trance. And then and they come out said, of it. They come out of it not really even having been aware that it happened. You know, mm-hmm. so that I kind of took that. I mean, I don't know if I'm if I'm right or not, but I kind of took that as the aliens had been there. That like this wasn't the first time they'd been to this town, and they were sort of controlling, you know, these people or had controlled them in the past. And one of the things that I thought was really neat is she said that. Um, you know, and this would kind of explain UFO sightings in a way where she said, you know, they kind of, it's not like they were going to just show up and the entire town would see it all at once. It it was like she would appear or they would appear to, you know, maybe just small numbers of people and then go away. And they show you that at the end of the film where the two leads disappear and then, you know, it's they're gone. And then they go back to the basketball game and everybody's leaving the basketball game. The just whole kind town of, is coming out of the gym. The whole town kind of filing out to their cars. And none of them are going to know that any of this stuff that had happened. They're just going to be like, oh, the the DJ and the and the uh, switchboard operator, they must have left town together or yeah. something. You know, yeah. I thought that was a neat little touch that it's like, oh, the lady was right. They're they're just going to appear to a couple of people or a handful of people at a time. And then they'll be gone, you know, and come back sometime later. So I I thought that was cool. Yeah. It's very cleverly done. Um, Again, I, I, it left me feeling a little um, shorthanded, 
shortchanged. Um, I just wanted um, more of a feeling of a payoff somehow, but it was it's very cleverly done. You're definitely left wanting more. Um, I'm not ready which, to let know, go of this. I'm not ready to let go of those two characters yet. You know yeah. what I mean? And at the end, they're just vanished, and you're like, "Well, they're they're either vaporized or they've been abducted." And I I don't find either of those satisfying. And it's not a sort of a sickening twist like the Twilight Zone would have been. It's like. You know what I mean? There's no, mm-hmm. um, they're just gone. You just don't get to follow yeah. their story anymore. And I, I left me feeling sad and disappointed. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it you, you like these two characters. You like the two of them together. There's never anything, um, you know, because of that, you're not sure about that age difference. And like you were saying, you know, if he was, if he was 18 and she was 16 or whatever, that's not necessarily, you know, inappropriate, but you, you kind of get this feeling that, you know, she kind of likes him and maybe he likes her too, but nothing. They have chemistry for sure. They have chemistry, but I kept waiting for something. I don't know exactly what I thought was going to happen, but I thought something, I thought there you know, he might make some weird pass at her or something and it might go bad. You know what I mean? Mm, but yeah. that never happens. Um, and, and so you're, you know, you really like these, it's almost, this isn't a great comparison because it's a completely different movie, but when, um, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood came out, mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino said that, the the film is not necessarily about anything per se in terms of a, a a story which there is a story to it but it's really just about spending time with these two guys together that have this great chemistry and you just enjoy that's a movie that i've i've watched that like three or four times yeah i really like that movie and you just want to spend time with these guys you know and that's you know in a not exactly the same way. It's just, you just enjoy these characters together. I, I felt. Um, so like you said, uh, yeah, I, I would have, uh, you know, this isn't a big enough movie for these characters to come back ever. I don't think, but, but like I said, I would have liked to have seen more of them. Yeah. I think that's part of the sense of disappointment is that their, their chemistry was so natural and it wasn't that it wasn't romantic, although it wasn't. It was felt sort of pre-romantic. Like, yeah, they they were starting to sort of become aware that they really liked each other. You know, just like 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 um, oh, he's really cool. She she's really cool. You know, and that and that seemed. And then before that, had a chance to bloom into anything at all. Adversity kind of struck, you know, and then they're then they're in um, sort of investigative mode and then damage control mode or fight or flight or whatever, you know. So mm-hmm. but part of my disappointment is, you know, in a world in which this story doesn't end with them vanishing. You know, maybe he's 20 and she's 16 and that isn't appropriate. But if she's 18 and he's 22, you know, people, especially in 1950, people got married all the time. They had their first kids oh, the sure. next year. You know, I mean, that was not so wildly improprietous. And it didn't no. feel other people who saw them together in the film didn't seem to be like, what's that old man doing running around with a little girl? <laughs> you know, I mean, he was, yeah. Everybody. He was kid. Everybody in the town really liked both of these people. And he's sort of a, you know, a, a local celebrity because he's on the radio. Right. You know? He's the radio and, guy. Yeah. And I think everybody would have been like, oh, you're with the radio guy. They wouldn't have been like, oh, there's, there's the skeezy radio guy going after a 16 year old or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. So I don't any so, I mean, anything else about. No, I, I would recommend it. I, I think if you've listened to us talk about it and you're still interested in seeing it, despite us having told you everything that happens, um, I I really, really enjoyed it. And I thought it was, a, you know, I said something to Rachel when we were we were talking about the film festival and she was saying, I was telling her about this film that was a first time filmmaker and what they spent on it and how long they 
took to shoot it, which was not very much and not very long. And I think that the movie was an enormous success despite some other difficulties that it had. And she was like, well, why, you know, why would you bother given these difficulties? Why would you bother watching it or showing it? And I said, you have to take into account what you're looking at. Right. I mean, this Mm -hmm. Steven Spielberg didn't make this movie. This was a, a teenage filmmaker who did it for, you know, less than $10,000 and shot it on weekends over 16 days, you know, in, in two months while he was in class. It's like, it's crazy given Mm -hmm. those parameters that this movie is as good as it is. And it's not just watchable all the way through. It's actually interesting. So, I mean, in terms of this movie, this is a first-time director. It's a relatively no-name cast. I mean, they're, they're experienced, clearly, because they're delivering. But there's no A-list name to hang it on. Um, it spends all of its money very, very wisely. Like, it really creates the world, you know, and it makes you care about the characters. And I just think it's great movie making, you know? This is, is going to shock burn. you. <clears throat> I just checked the me? budget. It was $700,000. Wow. Wow. <laughs> but but you know it's a union production, right? And they're shooting on digital. Yes, I, I don't know. That's the one with unions. I don't know. <laughs> that is not. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. That's a but good point. I didn't even think about that. $700,000 in this day and age to make a movie that is this accomplished and this polished is, um, is remarkable is absolutely not to go down a a rabbit hole. I was texting you about this a little bit and I was texting a couple other friends too. So I, uh, I won't say any spoilers or anything, but I'm almost, I have like half an hour to go on, uh, the, to be finished with the Obi-Wan season. And I've enjoyed it overall. I mean, I think story-wise, it's good. But I have been amazed at... Now, I've, I've read differing numbers on the, the budget that they had. I've seen anywhere between $90 million and like $150 million. But... And that's a, a show with lots of characters and lots of special effects and everything. But... I've been amazed with that show, how cheap it looks. Mm. Uh, in my opinion, it's just a lot that it's just this, you know, and people crap on the prequels and and I have problems with the prequels, but I don't think the quality of this looks any better than, than the prequels did. Uh, if anything, in some cases it's not, you don't have a bunch of CGI characters in the Obi-Wan, but, but why I'm saying all this is, this just from a standpoint of just camera movement and everything, this is vastly superior in my opinion to oh, the, yeah. the one just looks really bland, you know? And it's like, I, the fabric, I don't know. The fabric of reality that this movie weaves is so thorough. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's not just the writing and the performances. Um, whoever did the set design, uh, and whoever did the costume design and hair and makeup and everything else, I mean, it looks lived in. It looks like mm-hmm. these people wear these clothes and this is just an act like we are in the reality of this movie. And it's so uh, it's not in space. Sure. But it is set in a certain time period. And and I feel like one of the things I liked about the original Star Wars movies was that all of the people in those movies felt like they were in the same universe together. And Mm -hmm. I didn't feel that with the prequels, you know, uh, everybody felt very well-dressed, even the, like a pet peeve of mine with these star Wars movies is, and I understand they're kids movies, but there's always a flock of little kids, whether they're little Jedi or little street urchins or little pod racers or whatever, there's children And the children are all extremely clean. And having raised children, it's like, did they all just have their bath? I don't understand how. I mean, these people are slaves on Tatooine. How are they so Mm -hmm. clean? It's a desert planet. 
Yeah. You know, so it all looks like they just strolled out of their trailer to sort of deliver their lines. Chambo. And you're like, shut up. This is not real. Yeah. You know, spend a fraction of the time getting everyone on the same page in terms of living in the same reality. I mean, it's harder. It's harder to do that in a science fiction movie because you're making stuff up. But I think, you know, <laughs> Denny Villeneuve doesn't have any trouble doing it. Yeah. In Dune, which is, you know, people have said you, that you that's the that's the sci-fi movie that can never get made correctly. And I think he did a brilliant job of it. And it's all the little details like those ornithopters that look like that's what they're like in the book. They're described like big dragonflies. And he made that visually plausible on screen in in a really exciting and original way. And I know he didn't do the, you know, he's got a team of people to do that. But I, I agree with you with Obi-Wan. And I, I feel like it comes through. We had a, a conversation about Darth Vader. I just think the soul of it doesn't feel like it's there. Like they've got all the costumes right, but the costumes don't feel lived in. And I saw this in the Mandalorian too. Is like that you'll go pick up a, he's got a bounty and he, it's a blue guy and the blue guy, mm -hmm. you might've just picked him off of park Avenue. He's like, Hey pal, listen, we can work something out. What you know, Well, don't be like that. And you're like, <laughs> they, this is how they talk in space. I guess they just, everybody they is, do the same. I noticed the same crap with Obi-Wan where there's a couple of times where there's characters and they have Southern accents. And it's like, why do they have Southern? I, I don't, I mean, I guess right. a Southern accent is as valid as a British accent or whatever. I don't know, but it's just it. And I don't want to be, I was talking with a friend today and I've, and she really liked this and I felt a little bit like a hater and I don't want to be, I don't want to be that guy. You know what I mean? People have loved this and that's great. It just so much of it feel I, I don't understand compared to this, the vast of night with a, just a fraction of the budget that with all of the money that that and all the talent seemingly that Disney would have to work with that you can do. Yeah, it's a kid's movie and all that kind of stuff, but you can have, you know, really high end cinematography, really great acting. You know what I mean? It's like I I don't feel like when it's just popcorn entertainment that it has to suck. Be held to like a lower standard. You know what I mean? It's like right. why can why can it not be the kind of filmmaking and acting that we come to expect from some like something like Breaking Bad or something like that? But it's Star Wars. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. What? Why does storytelling have to go slide so far down on the pole? It's like you're, yeah. you're so focused on how this droid looks, or blah, 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 that you lose track of the fact that these are people that have stakes. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think the little girl that plays Leia is pretty good. We we talk about kids on screen. Mm -hmm. And whether or not you find it irritating their choices of how to sort of paint Leia, because Disney does have this kind of almost Mickey Mouse Club take on like kids, you know, it's like everybody's like, gee, mister, <laughs> you know, there's that mm -hmm. sort of attitude and she's this plucky. She's always running away, but that's not the kid's fault. Like that's the script's fault and that's their decision to make it feel like that um but but i thought that the actress the actor playing who plays leia as a child is pretty good on camera you know she mm -hmm. emotes pretty well and she has a rapport with uh, i i realize i'm not up to the last one i'm two episodes back mm -hmm. so i'm not as far as you are but i don't know just like i say i guess i just kind of have to drop it and just say you know, people are really, it's not like, I mean, most people seem to be happy with it. Most people, Star Wars fans, and I'm happy with it from the standpoint of, you know, I think the story is pretty good. It just feels so much like a product, you know, it just feels yeah. so. You can feel the market. Cynical right? to me, you know, yeah. 
but it's just like, we're going to crank. And I know, you know, I've read some things about like they were doing this during COVID, you know, and I get all that, but it just, I just can't imagine other than, okay, kids today who are watching it, you know, an eight year old is watching this and 20, 30 years from now, they're going to be nostalgic about this, but I don't see it having the kind of, you know, staying power that no, you're right. Star Wars or the Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. Again, I, the word that keeps coming to my mind is just soul. It doesn't seem yeah. to have the soul. Uh, and, you know, and part of it is a John Williams soundtrack, you know, from Star Wars. I mean, there's just so much beauty and they have specificity. This generic music that they use, you know, and you they own all that stuff. I so, Seemingly, they own every note that John Williams says, you know, or, put down, use some of that. Well, or, you know, like we talked about Blade Runner 2049. It's not, I mean, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but it's not Vangelis. But he definitely, mm-hmm. for the musical soundscape, he definitely draws on that as a integral part of the cinematic universe of the first film. So you don't necessarily need to reuse John Williams' music or even hire John Williams again. Is John Williams still alive or has he died? He is, yeah. I was actually just reading right before we got on that um, th- that the uh, Indiana Jones 5, they're saying, is probably going to be the last thing that he's going to do before he retires. Yeah. So, but But you could certainly take that as a jumping off point and... I don't, I mean, you can almost hear studio execs being like, all the orchestral music and the kids today aren't getting, I'm like, kids today will connect with something. They'll connect with the soul of it, right? Mm -hmm. And yes, the cool droids and laser swords and yes, Darth Vader and yes, all of this. Yes, yes, yes. But if it doesn't have a soul, what do you, you know, then it's just a pretty show. You know, then it's just Transformers, which is this mm-hmm. whirling dervish of CGI. And it was, I mean, I watched the first one and I thought Shia LaBeouf did a good job. And I thought everybody, you know, it, it hit its bases, but I didn't find it memorable. It wasn't sticky in any way. I don't find myself yeah. wanting to watch it again for any reason. I didn't no. care. I didn't care about it. You know, it was just a popcorn movie to kill a summer afternoon. And if you've got a property like Star Wars, don't you want to like those are some very potent seeds. Don't you want to really cultivate that for a whole new generation? You can't just slap people in uh, in robes and hand them a lightsaber and it takes care of itself, you know. And you talk about, you know, you didn't care. I so I was watching uh, last night and I just kept thinking. Obi-Wan is the only character that I care about in this, basically. You well, know what I mean? He's doing a I care a little job. bit about Leia, you know, as a little girl. And it's like, oh, it's cool Ewan to McGregor see Vader. But any of the other characters are just yeah. so generic and disposable. Yeah. You know? And Ewan McGregor is doing beautiful work. Well, tragically, um, we have our internet connection has failed us, and I have lost Mr. Huddleston. So on the off chance that I am still recording... We both recommend Vast of Night. Um, check it out. We will do another one next week. I'm not entirely sure what that's going to be yet. But um, <laughs> I'll, for Chris Huddleston and my, myself, I'll sign off for the both of us. And we will talk to you next week.